0: Welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, but most importantly, bought and paid for, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith by thinking biblically, the same thing Jesus did. Today, I am thrilled to have one of the plenary speakers at this year's Student Connection Conference with me today, Rod Powell. Rod and his wife, Margie, have spent most of their adult lives serving the Lord on the foreign mission field. For over 35 years, they have called a lot of places home, including the United Kingdom, Russia, and Israel. Rod serves with East-West Ministry International whose vision is to glorify God by multiplying followers of Jesus in the spiritually darkest areas of the world. Rod, welcome to the show. Hey, Roy. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. (laughs) So, boy, that was a little bit of a sparse bio. Usually I have a little more in there. Fill that in. Tell me, you know, where'd you go to school? What, what led you to the mission field? What have you been doing with life, Rod?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Roy, I, I came to Christ when I was a junior at Central Washington University, mm. way back in the day. Got involved my senior year with Campus Crusade for Christ. When I graduated, I joined their staff. Cool. So did high school ministry for five years in Minneapolis, in Minnesota. I met my wife there. We got married And we moved to England in 1982. We started Campus Crusades High School Ministry in England. Oh, okay. And we're there for 13 years. During the 80s, I started traveling in and out of the Soviet Union. I'd already been interested in Russian literature and Soviet history. And um, one of the things that interested me was how Russia became the Soviet Union, the world's first atheistic state, when their great writers... Tolstoy Dostoevsky were, had Christian worldviews and two of the greatest writers that everybody would consider in the history of literature. Wow. So that was a curiosity. So I started traveling in and out of the Soviet Union, doing evangelism, and then following up people who showed interest. Wow. Yeah, we moved there in 1995 with our kids. We moved to a Muslim part of Russia called Bashkortostan. The Bashkir are the northernmost Muslim people in the world. Wow. And um, I learned Russian there and worked with students there. Then we were four years in Moscow, heading up the student ministry of crusade there. And then four years in the Caucasus. The Caucasus is the highest mountain range in Europe. And in that area are 35 different ethnic groups, mainly Muslim, unreached people groups. So that was pretty exciting. Got arrested, got the boot from Russia in 2007. And my wife and I made our third missionary journey to Israel. We moved there in 2008 and we're, were there for 11 years.
0: Wow. And
1: um, now we're in Uzbekistan. So, anyway, there's a so quick you, nutshell. You've,
0: you've gotten around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. have had a lot of fun. So, while you've piqued my curiosity, how did Russia, with all this rich cultural history, and I don't know much about it at all, but you're right, they do have authors that have a very biblical worldview. How did it go to an atheistic state in the matter of, what, a generation?
1: Yeah. Well, you should read Possessed by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Okay. Or it's sometimes translated The Devils, Besi in Russian, which is like evil spirits. Wow. And The Possessed is a novel. The Possessed are the Marxist revolutionaries. Okay. It's really a prophetic novel about what happened in Russia, The, the revolutionaries, because of certain historical events like the First World War, the collapse of the Russian government because of their involvement in the war and economic troubles, that the Bolsheviks who, Bolshevik means majority in Russian, the Bolsheviks were a minority of all the parties, but through the sheer willpower of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin and his followers, they took power in a coup in 1917 and the rest was history. So, yeah, I had an interesting experience. My first trip to the Soviet Union in '86. I met a guy just out on the street, and we were talking, and he was explaining to me that they had scientific atheism. They were taught in high school and at university. Wow. And he said something I'll never forget. He goes, for someone who doesn't exist, we spend a lot of time talking about him. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was a a classic explanation of why, you know, if there was no God, atheists would be out of business. Exactly. (laughs) So anyway...
0: We talked a little bit before the show about my background in math and science. I joked that it was my heart language, but I I really do think a certain way, which is a lot different than a lot of normal people. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're normal, Roy. Come on, don't be so hard on yourself. I do think very analytically, very structurally, very logically, so math and science comes easy to me. And it's fascinating, the more I've looked into this, I'm like, wait a minute, science is absolutely biblical. It's a Christian thing. (laughs) Like, what in the world? Like, how did we lose track that science goes back to Christ and goes back to a biblical worldview? If you don't have a biblical worldview, you can't have science. You can't discover anything. No, exactly. Because everything's (laughs) random. Yeah. And so one of my favorite professors at MIT, Ian Hutchinson, who's phenomenal, renowned nuclear physicist and scientist and professor at MIT— is also a very, very strong Christian, and he gives talks all over the world on that exact thing, which is, look, you know, the basis for science, the presuppositions necessary for science to work are absolutely a biblical worldview. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's a a funny thing. When you were at these places, you know, Russia, then Israel, Uzbekistan, are you— doing a job in your normal day or are you there as a professional missionary or what does that look like?
1: Well I guess you could say it was a professional missionary. We did high school ministry in the UK which is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, not England. <laughs> England is just one part. We lived in England but it was yes. just part of the of the United Kingdom. Yeah and in, in Russia yeah we did student ministry full-time, worked with students. In Israel there's a large Russian speaking community in Israel. The Soviet Union actually had the the largest uh, number of Jews of any country in the world at the time. And then when it collapsed, started to collapse in the late 80s and the Jews were allowed to leave, they they left. And so a million and a half ended up in in Israel. Most went to the United States, some went to Germany and some went to Israel. And so we worked with that community for mainly for our 11 years. Although, I was in a cycling club, which was all secular Israeli guys. And so it was there that <laughs> I, uh, I had ministry with
0: Israelis, which was really a lot of fun. Oh, that's very cool. So you got to see the Jews in Israel who were not from Russia. Probably, you know, pretty heterogeneous, but, but maybe some similar things. And then you also got to spend a lot of time with Jews in Russia. And then maybe you saw those same people group come into Russia what would be the biggest kind of world view or cultural difference between Russian Jews and European Jews?
1: Well, the Russian Jews were latecomers, as you know, the, the Jewish state officially was formed in 1948 after the Second World War. And so the leaders of uh, Israeli society, Jewish society, were Eastern European Jews, primarily okay. from Poland. Um, from Eastern Europe, and they were secular. Ben Gurion, Golda Meier. Golda was born in Russia. Ben Gurion was born in Poland. Hmm. Shimon Peres, who just died recently, was from Eastern Europe. Hmm. But they were socialists. And so, wow. but over time, as everyone has seen, if you look at history, socialism didn't work. And they, <laughs> they turned towards the American model. Ben-Gurion, even though he was a socialist, saw that their future was not tied to aligning themselves with the Soviet Union, but aligning themselves to the West and, and with America. Interesting. And so the kibbutz is a good example. It was a socialist idea that everybody shares everything. The, the husband and the wife work, the kids are in childcare, there's a cafeteria that feeds everybody. Yeah. And so there were many, many socialist kibbutzes in uh, the land of Israel I think there's only one left. And um, they're all wow. they've all become private businesses because it doesn't work. People right. don't operate that way. <laughs>
0: so People that, aren't not by yeah. nature good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're
1: yeah. And when uh, when everything's shared then nobody's responsible. That's right. And the guys who work hard are frustrated yeah. because they're producing everything and the guys who are lazy are getting some of the product. Yeah. But I think one of the interesting things was is that the Jews who came to Israel in the late Soviet period, would say this. They said, "In Russia, we weren't accepted because we were Jews. In Israel, we're not accepted because we're Russians." <laughs> and so, oh, because wow. they were, huh. they were secular. I mean, Israel is a big mishmash of cultures, and yeah. so they were latecomers, and so yeah. it wasn't always easier for them to adapt. But they have, they have adapted and assimilated, and have made a huge contribution to modern Israel.
0: What do you see in terms of the evangelistic Christian outreach to Jews, you know, messianic? Um, Are there Jews from certain cultures that tend to respond more to the gospel? Or is it just, again, just kind of a mishmash of personal? That's a
1: good question. Certainly, the immigrants to Israel from the Soviet Union were the most receptive part of the population. Because... They did not grow up steeped in Judaism, being taught that Jesus cannot be the Messiah. Ah, They came from atheism. Mm. And atheism, as we know from (laughs) history, is people from an atheistic culture are more responsive to the gospel than a Muslim culture, a religious culture. And in modern Israel, in, in the schools, the kids are taught that Jesus cannot be the Messiah. And so if you grow up in that, there's huge psychological, emotional, sure. social yeah. barriers to come sure. into Christ. Um, but there has been a, a huge growth in the Messianic community there. And the immigrants from the Soviet Union have played a huge role in that. And so when I was there, that was the most responsive um, element of the culture.
0: Isn't Which- that fascinating that, that they just give them a blank slate, you know, and, and the gospel will, will pierce that. But it's, it's the, where it's been actively taught against... Yeah uh, there's such a hard you heart. know
1: second Corinthians um, chapter three talks about um, says whenever the old covenant is read a veil rises right. over That's their right. heart. That's right. And in working with, with secular Israeli Jews, you could sometimes almost see the veil when you were talking wow. to someone wow. in the in the cycling club. I was the I was the token goy, the token <laughs> gentile. They're all Jewish guys. <laughs> and um, and they liked me. My reputation, that they called me Hakomir, which is the priest. And it's a, it means like a Catholic priest. Because when Israelis think of Christianity, they think of Catholicism. They, right. And, and right. so this is one of the problems for uh, them. Because interesting. W- when I was first there, I would uh-huh. ask um, Israelis that I met, I'd say, hey, help me. I'm new here. Help me to understand. When you hear the word Christian or Christianity or Jesus Christ, what do you think of? Yeah. And I was shocked to hear um, almost everyone would say one of three or all three things. They'd say Inquisition, Crusades, Holocaust. And I'd say, okay, help me understand this. Holocaust, why is that? Wow. And they said, well, Germans are Christians. Germans sent us to the gas chambers. Christians sent us to the gas chambers. Wow. So in the, in the Israeli Jewish mind, they think of Christianity as medieval Catholicism, and they don't know people like you and me evangelical Christians who love the scriptures yeah. and who love
0: Israel. Interesting. One funny story so <clears throat> as I said I went to school at MIT so I the school's in Cambridge but I lived in Boston. And so I lived in a brownstone in Boston and next to our house was the Kabbat house. Oh, and yeah. Um, yeah. and so these you know Jewish you know little kids would come out and they'd play during you know whenever their times off were. And so as a college student, I'd bring my hacky sack and I'd just be out there playing on the front lawn and and the kids would come and join me. And so, and they loved hacky sack. And so I just, for weeks, we'd be out there every time at their break time, we'd be playing hacky sack, playing hacky sack. And then one day, one of the kids noticed my ring. And he's like, and he kind of just stopped and zeroed in and he's like, you know what that means, don't you? And I'm like, and I'm like, no, what does it mean? He's like, that's the mark of the deceiver.
1: And what was on your ring? And my ring was a, a cross. A cross. Yes.
0: And yeah. and, it was, and they were just like all shocked that I would be wearing this. And then all of a sudden kind of murmur, murmur amongst themselves. They never came back. You know, they were just like, oh, my goodness, you're, you're part of that. And it was fascinating.
1: Yeah. I had a great time. and I was in this cycling club for 10 years. And um, I competed. I actually won the Israeli championship. I, wow. When I got to be 60, <laughs> I, I got second when I was 60, 61. And then when I was 62, I, I was Israeli champion. So I've got the, the, oh, I've wow. got the jersey with the star of <laughs> David on. It was really cool. cool. I got to share with guys on the team. And I had some really amazing experiences because they liked me. Mm. And, um, and they knew that I, I loved them. Yeah. And they knew that if Rod called you to go out for coffee, the word got around that you were gonna talk about <laughs> Yeshua and you were gonna talk about the old testament. Wow. And so yeah, it was it was interesting.
0: That's cool. One of the best things that happened to me in my Christian faith was after I graduated college, I went to Phoenix and uh, we started going to a Calvary chapel there, and the pastor there had such a love for Israel. He had been I think as soon as they opened up in the 70s or whatever, he had started making trips. And so he had been on 35, what, 40, whatever it was, um, trips to Israel, pilgrimages every year. And he'd bring, you know, whoever wanted to go with him to the church. And so he kind of opened my eyes. I got saved my senior in high school before I went to college. So I was still kind of a new Christian, learning all these things. Um, And he really opened my eyes to the understanding of, you know, christianity is not the new testament that you know vilifies the old testament and it's like hey we've come to destroy the old testament you know not to fulfill it it's like wait a minute no jesus says he didn't come to destroy it he came to fulfill it and so he taught the congregation And, and my understanding now of jesus is through the lens of an old testament you know prophecy and all that kind of stuff and that was it's absolutely given me a different faith than i think a lot of evangelicals have
1: yeah that's that's <clears throat> really significant what it was for me too i went to a, a messianic congregation that was all in hebrew when i was there and so which really em- they emphasized the old testament yeah. and learned hebrew and so that was a great uh... a great experience for me it's it's helped me in the muslim world too um, how, how so well, when you're sharing with Muslims, like um, I was in Tajikistan last year. I live in Uzbekistan now. But Muslims will often quote the Quran in Arabic and then interpret it for you. And I thought, <laughs> hey, I can play this game. You know, because is- Islam says God does not have a son. And if you believe God has a son, it will be worse for you in the afterlife. In other words, you're going to be condemned forever. Right. And so I do um, Isaiah 9, 6 in Hebrew first. Ki yele yulad lanu ben nitan lanu. Shikmo Varika El Gibur Aviad Sarshalom. For unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God. Wait, wait, wait. So God has a son, and his name will be called Mighty God. I, I shared this with uh, wow <laughs> with, uh, I was sharing That's with cool. a, a, an American Jewish guy I met in Israel. We were studying Hebrew hmm. together. And um, That's cool. we, we had an outing, and we went to uh, Qumran, where the Dead yeah. Sea Scrolls yeah. were found. And on the way, we had this long talk about, about faith and about Jesus and whether it was the Messiah. And he said to me, he goes, the problem with you Christians is you've taken JC, and uh, Jews in Israel will not say Jesus' name. and And, and seg- uh, religious American Jews, one not they'll call him that guy. That's that's what they say. I was on a tour once, and uh, the tour guide, whenever he talked about Jesus, he would just say that guy. They don't even want to say his name.
0: Interesting. Wow.
1: Because actually, the rabbis have changed his name in Hebrew. It's Yeshua, which means salvation, which is uh, four letters, Yud, Shin, Vav, Ayin. Yeshua, Hmm. and they change it to Yeshu. And um, Yeshu means Yimach, Shemol. Uzikron. Yimak is the yah. Shah is Shmo, his name. Uzikron. And it literally means, may his name and his memory be blotted out.
0: No way. Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: And so. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, but, yeah, so, the Isaiah, Isaiah is a great prophet to use for Jews. Right. because it talks about the messiah being divine it talks about the messiah suffering and also for for muslims because it's very clear that god has a son yeah, his name amen. is el gibor and he'll be born of a virgin and his name will be called iman immanuel imanu with us el god god oh, with wow. us that's super cool so yeah
0: yeah i i've seen that same i've experienced that um same confusion or um just lack of knowledge or education about what the Bible teaches with a lot of my Muslim friends, you know, here in Portland. And they have all kinds of crazy, like, oh, as Christians, you guys believe, and they'll just name off just ridiculous things. And you're like, what in the world? Like, where did you get this? <laughs>
1: yeah, I think um, Islam is, has a real weird view, view of Christianity. I think it comes from, in Islam uh Islam is the state and religion all in one. Hmm. And so yeah. America's a Christian country, so therefore it must be the state must be Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And so they'll even bring things up like, Do you know that the names of your days of the week came from North mythology? <laughs> so how can you call yourselves Christians? It's like, oh come on. Yeah. That's come yeah. on. That's so yeah. anyway, but I, I didn't finish the story. The the kid that I shared that with on the day outing he said, Yeah, you Christians have come along and you've made Jesus out, JC, out to be someone he never said he was. And I said, Well, it's interesting. So we looked at, I said, Look up, let's look at Isaiah 9 would 6. You, yeah, yeah. You know, and his name will be called El Gibur, which is Mighty God. Right. And he was just silent. And the next day in class, he was not in my class, he was in another class that my wife was in. But as soon as the class started, he raised his hand and he asked the teacher, How would you translate El Gibur? <laughs> because it had struck him. And so yeah, yeah. I always felt like if I just used the scripture when I was sharing with a, a Jewish person, I I had a great victory because yeah. Amen. the Word of God is living and active, and it will work. Um,
0: Amen. So and that, that's one of the things that in our apologetics ministry here in Portland, we feel like if we can do two things, we're almost there. One is just refute. A lot of the ridiculous falsehoods and myths and wh- whatever just kind of clean up what people understand and then number two and it's probably the most important thing is to just get people in the Word of God yeah. and and that That's you right. know all, all the kids here have a hunger because I mean especially in Portland I think in the um, the bio it said you work in the spiritually darkest areas of the world and sometimes I think of you know areas of Portland and, and the Northwest are very you know, it's the most unchurched place in the yeah. whole country it's a very spiritually dark place these kids are getting it all the time in their classrooms on the soccer field social media whatever it is and a lot of them feel intimidated and they're like how in the world could i memorize all these facts and and mem- and have all this higher thinking to be able to refute all these things and i'm like it's really simple learn the word of god yeah, <laughs> and there i right. guarantee you you'll you'll be in a conversation and you'll 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 quote something like isaiah 9 or isaiah 61 or whatever it is jeremiah and you'll be amazed at watching the power of the word of god intrude into a conversation and change people's minds that no amount of you know philosophy or arguing or whatever could ever do
1: yeah that's right just Isaiah 53, I, I use that a lot with, uh, with Jewish people. And um, <laughs> I, I had a, a guy I was sharing with, read it. And I, I said, hey, Moshe, go ahead and read this and tell me. I wouldn't even say who. I'd say, tell me what you think this is about. And he read Isaiah 53, 1 through, through 7. And, um, and then he said, he said, wow. He said, this sounds more Christian than Jewish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you're like look i promise we didn't edit anything it's been yeah. in there the whole
1: time i was sharing with one of the first guys i met in israel a, i'd only been in the country for a few days and i i was we were living in this temporary like uh studio apartment one of my neighbors um his name was shimon and i said shimon let's read something together and so we read um uh, Micah 5.2, about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Mm, mm. And I said, hey, Shimon, why don't you read this? And so I read the passage. I said, what do you think that's about? And he goes, well, he says, this is talking about Jesus and Miriam, isn't it? <laughs> and I smiled. And I smiled. He goes, no, tell me the truth. This is Jesus and Miriam, isn't it? And I said, well, do you, know, do you know when this was written? Do you know who wrote this? He goes, yeah. he says, this is the New Testament. I said, no, this is not the New <laughs> Testament. This is the prophet Micah. And he goes, there's no such prophet as Micah. <laughs> So anyway, the next time I saw him, the next time I saw him, the first thing he said, he said, okay, okay, I talked to the rabbi. There is a Micah.
0: (laughs) You guys are completely off base. Yeah, Uh, That's funny. funny. Well, thank you for uh, being on the show today, Rod, and for being here um, with the kids and and sharing your heart about the the mission and the calling that God has given everyone to live out a, a life that points people to Jesus.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, Roy. It's great to be with you. Thank you
0: now how about you are there any elements of atheism or relativism or humanism that you have unwittingly assimilated into your worldview do you need to be equipped to recognize and refute those falsehoods well the ambassadors forum is here to help please visit us on our website at the to check out so many of our helpful resources I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.